Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining me today. Hey, this is part two on the message I'm entitling, Weaker Brother, Stronger Brother, But Still Brothers. Uh, we're looking at Romans chapter 14, and I hope that you were able to pick up the first part of this message in our broadcast yesterday. Uh, let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought about who you should fellowship with and who you should not fellowship with? Have you ever thought about why that even matters? Have you ever thought about how you should fellowship with one another? Those are three questions that I'd like to address today. Paul answers all three of those questions in Romans chapter 14. Uh, yesterday I read the entire chapter, but if you're able to pull up a copy of God's Word, that's what we're going to be looking at today, Romans chapter 14, and we're going to be talking about this matter of fellowship and why it is so important. Well, let's begin with who do we fellowship with? Well, I want you to know you can fellowship with anybody who has the Lord as Lord of their life. If Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, you're my brother, you're my sister in Christ, I can fellowship with you. Now, there's a distinction between fellowship and friendship. Jesus was a friend of sinners. All right, so uh, you can be a friend with anybody, but when it comes to fellowship, this can only happen with believers. So if Jesus is the Lord of your life, if he's your Savior and your Lord, I can fellowship with you. That word, accept, Romans 14, 1, accept the one who is weak in the faith, that means that we're to receive, we're to be hospitable to, uh, we're to give credence to, and implied with this word is the fact that we have confidence in that person, that we can be patient with that person, we can wait on that person. Uh, we can join in faith together with that person. That means that we can receive them. Uh, not receiving them because they are argumentative, but we're receiving them because they are family. You know, yesterday after church, I had a great time fellowshipping with my family. Uh, you know, that's one of the greatest things I do is fellowshipping not only with my church family, but with the family that God has given me. And uh, we just had a birthday party. My daughter just turned the young age of 29, and uh, we had a celebration of her life and her birthday, and the grandkids came over, the kids came over, and uh, all five of my children except one uh, who was serving in the Coast Guard was able to join us. And, uh, and so thank the Lord for modern technology. Uh, so even my son, who is up in Maine, got to join the birthday party through FaceTime. And so I, I FaceTimed Nate as we were singing happy birthday, and he got to see everybody, say hello to everybody, talk to everybody. And so we had a great time of fellowship. Now, Paul says we are to fellowship, and that is not to be basing it on diet. He says, except the one who is weak in the faith— Without quarreling over disputable matters, one's person's faith will allow them to eat anything. But another person who is weak in the faith will eat only vegetables. Now, Paul says the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them both. So, I guess if God accepts them both, we can accept them both as well. Now, when we look at fellowship... Fellowship is not to be broken because of a difference of diet. We are to, however, keep in the back of our minds that sometimes fellowship should be broken. Fellowship should be broken with those who are hung up with foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law. You know, Paul addresses this straight on. You know, you're going to discover every once in a while 
Uh, thankfully, it doesn't happen too often, but every once in a while, there's going to be somebody that's going to come into your church, and they're going to be hung up on something. Uh, they're going to be stuck on something. They're going to be divisive. Paul reminded Titus that you're to reject a divisive person after the first and the second admonition, knowing that such persons, they're warped and they're self-condemned. When we look at rejecting those who are divisive, we're going to reject them when they lack humility and when they are determined to live in sin and when they become divisive. You know, and I think about people get discouraged sometimes. There is a difference between one who is discouraged and one who is divisive. You know, a discouraged person, you can usually help that person. Uh, sometimes they need guidance, they need instruction, they need to be reminded of the grace of God, they, re- they need to be reminded that they need courage, and we can infuse people with courage. But when it comes to a divisive person, one who is convinced or determined to bring about a division, that person must be confronted head on. Paul says you reject them after the first and second admonition. So you admonish them to get right, and then you reject them. You know, Paul spends a lot of time talking about things that are beneficial. And he wants to remind us that God doesn't base our fellowship based upon the eating of meat. He also doesn't base it upon the days that we consider sacred. Now, I think it's important that we put this in context, because when Paul was writing this, a lot of the Roman believers were coming out of Judaism, embracing the Christian faith. So for a while there, they were wanting to celebrate the feast days and the festivals and the Sabbath days. As a matter of fact, we still have some Jews, they're called Messianic Jews, who still celebrate the Sabbath and still celebrate some of the feasts and the festivals and and still celebrate and practice Yom Kippur, and and they still do the Passover. Nothing wrong with that. You say, man, what's the difference between a Jew and a Messianic Jew? Well, a Messianic Jew is a Christian, one who has put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He is a brother in the faith. He is a sister in the faith. You know, I have several Messianic Jewish friends. Uh, Some of them are, are incarcerated. Uh, And so this past Easter, I celebrated Passover, not only with Messianic Jews, but also those who were uh, Orthodox Jews. There was a mix in that audience as we celebrated the Passover together. So Paul says here, uh, don't break fellowship with somebody based upon feasts and days. Now, when Paul is addressing this matter, he may have been in the back of his mind thinking about how they used to trust these festivals instead of trusting Christ. So in Galatians chapter 4, he says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are gods. But now that you know God, or rather unknown by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. So what is Paul saying that appears to be contradictioning? In Galatians chapter 4, he points out that you shouldn't be observing these special days. But then he says in Romans chapter 14, 
that we're to not make a, a matter of, of the days that you observe. We're not to break fellowship over somebody who has days that they observe that maybe we don't observe. Well, I think the difference between the two is in Romans chapter 14, uh, they're not looking at the celebration of the feast and the festivals and the special days of worship. They're not looking at them as a means of their salvation. When Paul is dealing with the Galatian believers, they were enslaved by turning back to the means of salvation being based upon the festivals and the seasons of observing those special days. And Paul says, I fear that somehow you have missed the point and I've wasted my efforts on you. And now, when we look at those who celebrate special days, if they think those special days is somehow related to their salvation, I think that that's a matter of doctrinal error. But if they're just celebrating these as an expression of their faith, then Paul says, you don't have to break fellowship with them. So we've got two things that Paul looks at, and, and maybe you could look at a third. We are going to fellowship with those who have Jesus as Lord of their lives. We're not going to break fellowship with those who are vegetarians. We're not going to break fellowship with those who observe certain days. Paul also says later in this chapter that there are some who will not eat meat or drink wine if it causes my brother or sister to stumble. So I think the matter of wine is another issue that we can add to this list. You can disagree with this. Now, I'll give you my personal view. I personally think that wine is a marker, and those who are in leadership position in the Old Testament says wine is not for the kings because that would impair their judgment if they were consuming too much wine and they had to make a decision that protected the security of their nation or the sovereignty of their nation, and they didn't want to be impaired in making those decisions. I think the same is true with leaders. But Paul says, I'm not going to eat meat, I'm not going to drink wine if it causes my brother or sister to stumble. Now, I don't know why God has placed me uh, in a position that I work with addicts. Uh, Much of my ministry is involving working with drug addicts and working with alcoholics, and I've never uh, had a drug problem. Well, I guess I kind of did have a drug problem when I was younger. Uh, My mom and dad, they drug me to church on Sunday morning. They drug me to church Sunday night, and they drug me to church on Wednesday night. So I guess I kind of did have a drug problem when I was younger. Uh, But uh, all kidding aside, Uh, Here I am working with addicts. Now, the reason I am a total abstainer from alcoholic beverages is not because I have a strong biblical reason for it. The main verse I look at is right here in Romans chapter 14, uh, where Paul says that if drinking wine causes my brother to stumble, I will not eat meat or drink wine. And the reason I don't consume is because uh, many years ago, I led to the Lord a guy by the name of Joe. And Joe was one of these guys that had more DUIs than you can imagine. His life was a mess. Uh, He was a merchant marine, and he worked hard, but he drank hard. And he was one of these guys that was able to provide for his family, but he could never really get ahead financially because of his problem with alcohol. And it wasn't just that the alcohol was costing him so much money, but he was spending a lot of money on legal matters. I mean, he had to find the most expensive attorney uh, in Tidewater uh, in the Hampton Roads area to get him out of the bind he found himself in. Well, finally, uh, the DUIs caught up with him. And it's an amazing story. I led Joe to the Lord one Sunday morning at the end of a worship service. Uh, We were still meeting at the Hickory Roarton Club, and at the end of the service, Joe came forward, and, and his wife was actually my secretary at that time, And Joe came forward at the end of the service and says, man, I want to be born again. 
He says, I'm sick and tired of my drug and alcoholic addiction. I want to be saved. And he told me, he says, now, uh, I know that I've got these uh, outstanding warrants for my arrest in the city of Norfolk. And after getting saved, he wanted to turn himself in to the police. And I says, you know, what you're doing is very much uh, to be admired. Right? You should be turning yourself in because you have these outstanding warrants for your arrest. And I, and I told Joe, I said, now, Joe, I want you to know something. Uh, God is merciful. Uh, the Norfolk Police Department is not. <laughs> when you turn yourself in, uh, they are going to lock you up, and uh, you're going to probably have to do some time. You're going to pay some fines, and uh, you're going to have to pay your debt to society. And he says, I know. I, I am well aware of that, but I got to do the right thing. And sure enough, he turned himself in, and, uh, and he went and uh, spent about 14 months uh, at the Norfolk City Jail. And I would go visit him often, and I gave him Bible verses to memorize, and just a fascinating guy. In a life that is radically changed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, one day when Joe was released from jail, he was getting discouraged. And he wanted to go back and he was being tempted to have some alcohol. And he says, you know, I see these Christians drinking all the time. Why can't I drink? And his wife said to him, now listen, Joe, you can't make that blanket statement. You know, Pastor Calvin... Uh, you've never seen him drink, have you? And uh, you know what happened? One time, Joe uh, and his wife were at Applebee's. And unbeknownst to me, they were eating there at the same time that I was eating there. And I was eating there with one of the deacons of our church, just having lunch together there at Applebee's. And I remember at the conclusion of that, uh, at that meal, Joe and his wife came up to me to say hello. And I noticed Joe kept looking at the table. And he kept looking at the table, I think, to see if there was any alcohol on my table. And, uh, and there wasn't because I'm a total abstainer. And I don't say that I'm holier than anybody else because this is my position. But I do say this because Joe was looking for a reason to be stumbling back into alcohol. But he didn't have a reason because he saw a believer in Christ who said, you know what, if eating meat or drinking wine will cause my brother to stumble, I will not drink. You know, I abstain from alcohol not only because of the sake of a Joe in my life, but also for the sake of my family. You know, and I'm old enough now that I probably could handle my drink. But what about my kids? What about my grandchildren? You know, my kids, my grandkids, I hope and pray they never get addicted to wine or addicted to alcohol. If they do, I can have the peace of mind to say, you know what? They may have chose to go down that lifestyle. They may have chose to go down and, and become addicted to that substance. But there was no alcohol in my house. I didn't teach my kids to drink. I didn't teach them to be social drinkers. You know, some people say, well, social drinking is the cure for alcoholism. No, it's not. Social drinking is the cause of alcoholism. Everybody I know who became an alcoholic started as a social drinker. Nobody I know who is an alcoholic says, you know what, my goal in life is to be an alcoholic, so let me start drinking. No, they started drinking socially, and then they got addicted to the substance. It's true with any kind of addiction. Nobody intends to be a drug addict. Nobody intends to be an alcoholic. Nobody intends to be addicted to pornography. We don't have these intentions in our lives. They start off by lowering our guard. So we must not be a stumbling block to anybody. So why does this matter? 
when it comes to this matter of fellowship. We're not going to break fellowship over days. We're not going to break fellowship over diets. We're not even going to break fellowship over the consumption of wine. The reason this is so important is because we are to be very careful in our judgment. Now, David said this in Psalm 119, I am a friend to all those who fear you, to all who follow your precepts. We must remember, salvation is from God. I'm not the author of salvation. I'm not the giver of salvation. I am just a mouthpiece that speaks of salvation, but salvation is from God. Let's look at Romans chapter 14, verses 7 through 9. Paul says, For none of us live for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. So this is a matter of we are accountable one to another. We're not like this island by ourselves. No, we don't live for ourselves. We don't die to ourselves. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live, whether we die, we belong to the Lord. Paul is reminding us that salvation comes from the Lord. He bought us. He purchased us. He is the reason Christ died and returned to life so that we might have the Lord as both the living and the dead. So our salvation comes from God. So we must be very careful when we are fellowshipping with each other to not judge their salvation, because that comes from God. We're also not to judge their service. Service is to God and not to me. Now, as you listen to this broadcast or podcast, however you're listening to me, uh, this sermon is not primarily for you. It's definitely not for me. This is my service to God. Paul says in Romans 14, 4, who are you to judge somebody else's servant? To their own masters, servants will stand or servants will fall. I want you to know something about your service to God. If the Lord is happy with your service, don't worry about what anybody else thinks about your service. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks about your ability or your lack thereof. Listen, you are serving the Lord. Paul says, we're not to judge somebody else's servants. I am a child of the king. I am at his service. I am reporting for duty as I give the message today. Now, you just have to be listening in to my service to God. As you serve the Lord in your church, others are blessed by that, but you're really doing it for an audience of one. That's why when we're serving the Lord, we're not doing it for the praise of men. You know, one of the things I love to do and I love to see being done, people serving the Lord with no worry about getting recognized. You know, not too long ago, somebody came to me and I said, I'm a pastor, I want to bless Hickory Ridge Community Church, and I want to give a gift to the church. And they gave me a check for $25,000. Now, this person doesn't want me to tell anybody who they are, and so I'm not, and I won't, and I say, wild horses can't drag it from me. But I love the spirit behind that gift. They didn't want anybody to know they were doing this. They wanted to do it as a way of serving God. Now, when we look at this matter of service, it's so important that we give our lives completely to serving God. You know, Gordon MacDonald 
shares an interesting story. It's a story about a white elephant. You know, a white elephant is a very special possession. And you may have done the white elephant gift exchange around Christmas, right? But a white elephant is a possession that an owner cannot dispose of. But it's a possession in which the cost of maintaining this gift is out of proportion to its usefulness. In modern usage, we would say that it's a metaphor used to describe an object. Maybe it's a construction project or a scheme or a venture, a business venture. It's something that is considered expensive, but without the equivalent utility or value relative to what it's worth. For example, years ago, I had this old car, and I called this car the money pit car that I had. This car kept breaking down on me, and this car wasn't worth a whole lot. But I was getting to the point where the repairs were worth more than the car. I finally said, you know what, enough is enough. I'm tired of dumping money into this piece of junk. So I got rid of that car and bought another one. Uh, I guess you could say uh, that car was like a white elephant in my life. Well, in ancient days, when the king of Siam had an enemy that he wanted to torment and destroy, he would send that enemy a very unique gift. He would send a white elephant, a live albino elephant. Now, these animals in that culture were considered sacred. And so when you received this white elephant, this albino elephant, you had no choice, but you had to care for this gift. Now, this elephant would take on an inordinate amount of time, and uh, the enemy would put all of his resources and energy and emotions and, and finances into this white elephant. Well, over time, the enemy would destroy himself because of the extreme burden that caring for that white elephant gift caused. You know, I think about our spiritual enemy. Our spiritual enemy uses the same strategy on us. Let's say that you buy season tickets for your favorite sports team, right? Uh, the Tides, maybe. But because you still have a lot of games to go to, you no longer have time to serve in any area of ministry at your church. Or let's say that you have a beautiful lake house down there at Lake Gaston. But now you miss most weekend worship services between May and September. Or let's say you, you buy a, a membership to the YMCA. And you want to get yourself in shape. You used to get up early in the morning to read your Bible and pray, but now you don't have time because you're working out every morning early before you go to work. Or let's say that, uh, that you have your kids involved in a, a sports team, maybe a traveling sports team, and, and now you're too busy to join in any activities at the church. Are there white elephants in your life? Are you spending money on things that take your time away from God? Now, the money isn't the problem. And really, the activities aren't necessarily the problem. The problem is that they have become a white elephant gift. I think about maybe a, a boat. I have a good pastor friend who pastored for many years uh, outside of the Lynchburg area. And he bought a boat and he named his boat Visitation. And uh, as people would call the church and say, hey, where's the pastor? And the secretary says, well, well, he's out on visitation. He's out on his boat. Now, I don't know if that boat was a white elephant boat to him, but I know that in my life from time to time, I've got to take inventory. I've got to look at my life and say, am I spending too much time on something that is not giving me that return on investment? 
Well, I want to close up this message with you tomorrow. I hope that you join me for one final segment on who should we fellowship with? Weaker brother, stronger brother, but we're still brothers in Christ. Join tomorrow as we wrap up this message, and I know it'll be a blessing to you. Now, if I can pray for you, oh, I'd be honored to pray for you. Every Thursday morning, I have a team of people that pray with me on a conference call. Shoot me a text, 252-267-2365. Just shoot me a text, and I'll pray for you. And maybe there's something that you have a question about. Well, you can shoot me a text, and I'll answer the question to the best of my ability. Uh, We do have opportunities for you to serve at Hickory Ridge Community Church. If you're interested in working at our academy, we're always looking for good people. We have an academy that uh, receives uh, young people, children from six weeks old all the way up through K-5. We're always looking for good people. Give the church a call, 757-421-7500, if you'd like to work with us. Man, we would love to have you joining our team. Well, thank you again for joining me today. I look forward to worshiping with you. Why don't you come join us this Sunday at 9 o'clock or 1045. We'll make you feel right at home, I promise. Uh, Just come in through the big glass doors that say welcome home, and, uh, and we'll make you feel right at home. Thank you so much for listening to the broadcast. Join me tomorrow for part three. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.